Support for Speaking of Travel comes from Asheville Regional Airport, Western North Carolina's gateway to the world. Your safety when traveling to and from Asheville is and always will be our top priority. Asheville Regional Airport. Visit flyavl.com for all your current travel information. Prestige Subaru, offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive Subarus. Built with the zero landfill promise, all waste is recycled or reused with more at prestigesubaru.com. And Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. You'll be at the top of the city as you experience Asheville's history and scenic beauty, historic landmarks, and award-winning rooftop bars. Transportation is provided with tours offered daily, year-round. Find out more at AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball, and you're listening to Speaking of Travel right here on iHeartRadio 570 WWNC. Now be sure to visit the Speaking of Travel website. That's speakingoftravel.net, and you can sign up for the Travel Club. And then you can stay on top of the latest travel news, travel tips, and you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on that website. And you can listen on the iHeartRadio app, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Pretty much all podcast platforms are now speaking, are now podcasting, speaking of travel. And what I was going to say is that podcasting is really becoming the thing these days. People are putting their headphones in, they're going for walks, they're listening to podcasts with their favorite uh, celebrities and series. And a lot of people are really, really focused on traveling They are dreaming and ready to go, and that's why it's always nice to have Tina Kinsey from the Asheville Regional Airport. She's the Director of Marketing, PR, and Air Service Development here on Speaking of Travel to give us an update on what's going on over there at our hub, the Asheville Regional Airport, and even a bigger picture of kind of what the what's the tone right now tina it's so great to have you here on speaking of travel thank you again oh thank you marilyn it's always great to have a chat well listen every day every week every month there are things going on there are new uh, restrictions are being lifted phases are being phased in and and how how is that affecting what's going on over there at the airport Well, Marilyn, you know, this has been just an unbelievable time for everyone, not just in aviation, just everyone. And we are acutely aware of that. Um, We certainly think about air travel every day. That's the world we live in, in our, you know, in the airport world. Um, So we're watching and we're learning and we're trying to be very cognizant of what our guests, our travelers, our community, what they need from the airport so that when they're ready to begin traveling again, we are also ready for them. And we're doing that in a number of ways. Um, 
we recently launched a survey. It's a travel sentiment survey, and we're trying to get as many air travelers uh, in our primary market area to fill out this very quick survey so we can keep our finger on the pulse of you know, their thoughts and feelings about air travel at this time. And so we're learning a lot there. Um, and we're also watching national trends, working with community partners, um, and we're looking to see, you know, what is actually happening with air travel. And as you know, it virtually came to a halt for a number of weeks. Um, and we're seeing those numbers start to creep back up again. Um, and, you know, we had our highest number of travelers over the Memorial Day weekend. And um, then we have seen in several months at the airport, still not a lot of travelers, but but a, a big jump from what we had been seeing. And, you know, so we know that there are people out there who are wanting to get back on an airplane to resume their lives, whatever that may be, um, you know, for business or personal reasons. So, you know, we're really working hard to understand that and to be ready and implementing safety enhancements at the airport for our travelers. Well, I definitely wanted to bring that up because I know that currently you are following the best practices to ensure that travelers here in Western North Carolina have just the most um, up-to-date and uh, clean practices. Give us some ideas of some of the um, some of those best practices that you do have in place right now. Sure. So, you know, a lot of the things you're seeing in our staff is wearing face coverings. We're asking travelers to wear them as well. Um, we have plastic shields at all the public counter spaces, uh, social distancing markers. We've blocked off two out of every three seats in our gate areas to create that social distancing um, for our guests. We have enhanced cleaning procedures, including the use of electrostatic sprayers so that we can very efficiently uh, disinfect hard surface areas um, frequently in the terminal. So we're doing all of those things. And I think a big change is we're asking, uh, we're limiting those uh, who can enter the airport terminal. We're asking only those who have a reason to be there, a, a valid reason. You're a ticketed passenger, you have to assist a passenger for some reason, or you have business at the airport. Otherwise, we ask you to wait in your vehicle um, if you're picking up a passenger, that kind of thing. So we're doing all of the uh, recommended guidelines, and we're being very diligent about it. And what can we do, Tina, to be very diligent about it? Because it really takes two to tango, and we all need yeah. to be kind of, uh, you know, married here in... Right. Well, you know, we, I'm glad you said that because it is a, a, an effort together. And so we are asking our guests to be mindful of all of these measures that we've put in place. Wash your hands often. Um, you know, uh, we, we think that it's wise to reduce your touch points. So use those mobile boarding passes as often as you can. And, you know, this is a really good segue because we're not the only ones implementing 
um, some changes. The TSA just released some additional measures they've put in place. And, you know, they are asking passengers to scan their own boarding passes so that they're not passing them between people. Um, They're also um, asking passengers to separate food that they may be carrying on to the plane um, to put it in um, plastic bags separately so they can be screened separately. Um, They're allowing passengers to bring one 12-ounce bottle of hand sanitizer with them uh, in their carry-on bag. Uh, It just has to be screened separately from the, the rest of the items. Um, And they, too, are asking for social distancing, and uh, our TSA partners are wearing facial coverings as well. So it sounds like a couple of things uh, for us as we begin to travel again through the airport to remember, A, get there early. It sounds like things might be, uh, it's better to be there early, right? Always. Uh, And probably that is a rule to always be followed now uh, more important than ever before. Right. And then to be able to, um, you know, it, it, it sounds like everybody's going to have to be pretty darn responsible here uh, to, to be able to uh, follow the procedures, to be able to stay safe, uh, to be able to get on the plane, board the plane and get to their destination and then back. That's again. right. Yeah. yeah. And Marilyn, uh, I think a great thing to always remind travelers about, you know, the airlines are going, they are really um, working hard to put um, enhancements in place, making things even more uh, clean and safe for their travelers on the airplanes and check with your airline, you know, go to their website, look and see what what they are doing and also what they are requiring of their passengers. Absolutely. It's going to be important to be diligent about getting all the information before you go. And on that note, Tina, how can we get more information about what's going on at Asheville Regional Airport and even through those TSA uh, channels? How can we get that information? Sure. So we have lots of helpful links on our website that it's a good central location to go, and that is flyavl.com. Great. Well, Tina, thank you again for uh, for checking in with us and giving us an update on what's going on. You know, we've, we've said this all from the very beginning that we have to work together. Everybody has to be kind of on this train to to get on this plane, right? To, That's right. To follow what's going on. And, and we know that when... When we're ready, you're ready. Yes, and we look forward to welcoming all of our friends and neighbors back to the airport. Well, thanks, Tina. We'll look forward to catching up with you again next week. All right, this is Marilyn Ball. Stay tuned. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about reptiles. We'll be going from airports to reptiles. But my guest today is Bruce Schwedick. He is the director of Reptile Discovery Programs based out of Plant City, Florida. You know, crocodiles and and reptiles are an important part of our ecosystem. Let's find out what's going on with them. Spring has finally sprung, and with our backyard in full bloom, now is the time to get out and find adventure wherever it may lead. 
From the mountains to the rivers and all the turf in between, we are no less than blessed with our beautiful backyard right here in Western North Carolina. There's a will, there's a way. And for the way, we have the wheels to take you wherever you wish to wander. Adventure is waiting, and the choice is yours. Find your adventure vehicle at PrestigeSubaru.com. Prestige Subaru, 585 Tunnel Road in Asheville. And welcome to Subiville. Hi, I'm Kay, the founder and owner of Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. You usually hear me talking about our tours from the rooftops in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. Currently, our country and the world are going through an unprecedented time with the COVID-19 pandemic and the fear and economic uncertainty that it is creating in our world. We in Asheville, a city that has been welcoming tourists to the healing properties of our Blue Ridge Mountains since the 1800s, are feeling it as well. Many things have been put on hold, but together we will get through this. Our times to explore the world or even our local hometowns and reconnect with friends and loved ones is in our future. Be strong, stay safe, and when you are in Asheville, look us up. We would love to show you the city from a bird's eye view. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Thanks to Tina Kinsey from the Asheville Regional Airport for keeping us up to date on what's going on over there. You know, times are certainly changing, and every day we're seeing more and more transformations. Look, let's face it, we're living in challenging times, but this is a time for all of us to be focused on achieving future well-being for everybody. And being able to look at sustainability and conservation for ourselves, our ecosystems, and the planet We all need goals that are going to raise expectations and set the stage. You know, there are tough questions that we have to address. Can we succeed? How should we go forward? Well, in searching out some ways to stay current on these issues, I'm circling back to crocodiles. Okay, you're wondering, crocodiles? But did you know that they play an important role in our global ecosystem? There's so much we can learn from them, and I'm really excited to have a leading expert in all things crocodilian, my guest, Bruce Schwedick. Bruce is the director of Reptile Discovery Programs based in Plant City, Florida, and the co-founder of the Crocodilian Conservation Center of Florida, which will be based near the central Florida town of Frostproof. And here's something, he's my cousin. Hey, Bruce, it is so good. Great to have you back and and get caught up on what's going on with you. Thank you, Marilyn, for having me back on your program. In addition to what you mentioned, I am also a member of the CSG, the ICN Crocodile Specialist Group. The CSG has over 650 members around the globe, and it is the world's largest organization that is focused on the conservation and management of crocodilians, the alligators, the crocodiles, the caimans, and the gharials. Wow. Well, you've been uh, really focused on crocodiles and reptiles pretty much your whole life. I know when we were growing up, that was a big part of you and your brother Michael's passion. And you've taken it up to just such another level over all these years. How did you end up becoming involved in the in the CSG? I started attending meetings that were attended by many CSG members. And this was in Zimbabwe back in the early 1980s. The CSG now holds and since then has held meetings every two years in a different part of the world and often regional meetings in between. Now, 
I'm not often able to afford to attend every meeting, but I've been able to attend a few in places like Santa Fe, Argentina, and and uh, Santa Marta, Colombia, as well as Gainesville, Florida, which is the United States capital of crocodilians, where the University of Florida is located. I was just going to say that's that's a lot of uh, participation from people all over the world. So when they it is absolutely when. Mm-hmm. They, when they have their meeting in Gainesville, are people coming from all over the world? Yes, it's a great location because it's convenient for Latin America. It's convenient for Europe and Africa and Asia. And of course, Australia is a bit farther. So sometimes uh, the meetings are close for some people, far for others. And that's why they're moved around the world every, every few years. Wow. Well, give us an idea of some of the meetings that you attended globally. Well, one of the most exciting ones for me that I'd like to tell you a little about today was from back in May 2013. I attended the 22nd working meeting of the Crocodile Specialist Group, and it was also called the World Crocodile Conference. It was held on the west coast of the island of Sri Lanka in the city of Nagambo. So how many people attend these meetings, Bruce? It varies. If it's a regional meeting, there could be 100 participants. If it is a if it is one of the big working meetings, it can be over three or 400 people. And these are all people who are involved in, in crocodile studies and research and, uh, and focused on uh, protecting these uh, reptiles? Yes, it's every aspect. Um, it is university researchers. It is people that work for the governmental management authorities of countries that have crocodilians. It is um, people that are involved with crocodile ranching and crocodile farming, as well as people involved in the tanning of crocodile skins and the marketing of crocodile products. Some people might shudder and think, wait a minute, isn't that a bad thing? Well, there was a time when it was. In the 1970s, more than 2 million crocodilians were killed globally every year, taken from the wild, largely unregulated. And the skin was used to make leather for high fashion products. But since then, because of regulations through CITES, all of that has changed. Now, the 25 different types of crocodilians, one third were never threatened or endangered. They don't have a commercially valuable skin. Another third that became threatened or endangered have completely recovered. We have... um, There's actually millions of certain species of crocodilians like the American alligator and the jacare, which is a type of South American caiman. And this has been possible because of sustainable management. When I first went to Southern Africa, I learned about a program called crocodile ranching, where instead of killing the big adults in the wild, they harvested the eggs. In the wild, younger females lay their eggs too close to the water because the bigger dominant females get the highest level nesting areas and that's what they need because as the eggs are laid the water level is rising and if they lay their eggs too close to the water the eggs drown the eggs are also eaten by predators so scientists in africa discovered and also in louisiana that you could harvest those eggs especially from the nests that might not survive and then those eggs could be utilized by farmers they hatch the babies at their own expense they raise the babies at their own expense And now in countries like the United States, the farmers pay for every fertile egg they take. So in Florida, 
They purchase 50,000 fertile alligator eggs a year. In Louisiana, over 100,000 alligator eggs a year. And that provides money to the state's budget to hire biologists, to monitor the wild populations, because countries around the world that are members of CITES, they cannot offer their skins to the international marketplace unless they provide scientific proof that the populations are not, uh, it is not to the detriment of wild populations. And in order to prove that, they have to monitor their wild populations. The best part about protecting alligators and crocodiles, Marilyn, is to do that, you have to protect wetlands. And when you protect wetlands, it's not just for the crocs. It's for the fish, the frogs, the insects, the plants. And of course, it's also for you and me because wetlands are such an important source of fresh water. Wow, that that is music to my ears because this is the kind of conservation. These are the kind of topics and dialogues we all need to be having as we move forward. So when you were uh, on this trip, Tell us a little bit about what you were able to uh, see and do when you were there. Normally, it's a tight schedule. The first day of the meeting is a steering committee meeting, and then the formal meeting lasts three or four days. And then often there's opportunities for field trips following the meeting. As it turned out, I arrived a day before the steering committee meeting, and I had a chance to visit the historic city of Colombo. I walked around the old part of the city with, with historic buildings built by the early Dutch colonists. As I walked around, people approached me. They thought I was a star off one of the little ships docked in the harbor. I was there just looking for an internet cafe, as this was before I had an iPhone. I couldn't find an internet cafe, but I found a tuk-tuk driver. And of course, the tuk-tuk is uh, is uh, how many people in Asia get or get around. It's like on the front of a motorcycle and the back of a covered rickshaw. And so I found a tuk-tuk driver. I asked him if he could take me to the place where he had lunch every day. I really wanted a taste of local cuisine. And also, I was on a budget. So he agreed. But as we started driving, we left the old part of the city. We drove past the harbor, and it was a wonderful view. It was a bright, sunny day, but I realized this probably was not where he was normally eating lunch, and that turned out to be true. He took me to a historic hotel. He said, you can have lunch here. I said, are you joining me? He said, no, but I'll wait. I went inside and asked if lunch was available. They directed me to the second floor, and there, I think for 10 or $12, I had the most amazing, lavish buffet I've ever experienced. Sri Lankan food I find to be wonderful. If you're not familiar with it, it's similar to Indian cuisine, but due to the regional spices and seasonings and the fact that it's on the coast in many parts of the island, plenty of seafood, I just found the food to be amazing. Wow. Well, that sounds wonderful. Bruce, when we come back, I want to pick up right there. But for uh, people who are listening right now, what's a good website they can go to, to to start getting some information? Yes. If you visit the website of the Crocodile Specialist, it is I-U-C-N-C-S-G. I-U-C-N-C-S-G. Or you can just Google Crocodile Specialist Group. And if you click you'll find an endless array of information you can read about the world's crocodilians. If you'd like to learn more about our organization, the Crocodilian Conservation Center of Florida, our website is croccenter.org. 
Awesome. Well, Bruce, when we come back, I want to hear more about your trip. And also, I'd like to talk to you a little bit, not only about your travel experiences, but about uh, the research that's being done. And uh, and let's talk more about conservation. Uh, this is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. I'm here with my guest, Bruce Schwedick. We're talking about crocodiles, reptile discovery programs, all kinds of ecosystem and sustainable issues. We'll be right back. This is Melody from GlobalMedTravel.com, and I'd like to invite you to travel with me on a virtual tour of one of the world's largest flower gardens. It's Kuchenhof Gardens, located in the Netherlands. Because the park is currently closed to visitors and the tulips are in full bloom, the Kuchenhof Park has created virtual tours so that we can see the stunning displays of blooms that carpet the 78-acre park. In your YouTube search bar, type Kuchenhof. That's K-E-U-K-E-N. H-O-F. Typically, the Kuchenhof Gardens are only open to the public for eight weeks in the spring, and the park receives over 1.5 million visitors during this time. And now for the 2020 display, these amazing Dutch gardens offer the virtual traveler the delights of catching the park during its peak bloom. For North Americans physically traveling to the Netherlands, you might want to know that you can access the hospital, doctor's office, pharmacy, or dental clinic in the location you're visiting and you're likely to find English-speaking physicians, but you would need to pay the bill directly or arrange payment through your health or travel insurance. I hope you'll enjoy your virtual tour of the Kuchenhof Gardens. This is Melody from GlobalMedTravel.com, and I'm wishing you all the best for your travels near and far. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and we're here today with my guest, Bruce Schwedick. Bruce is the Director of Reptile Discovery Programs that's based in Plant City, Florida, and he's the co-founder of the Crocodilian Conservation Center of Florida, which will be based near the central Florida town of Frost Proof. And as I mentioned, Bruce is my cousin. Bruce, it is so great to have you on the show. And I was really fascinated listening to you talking about uh, these uh, organizations that are coming together, the researchers, the people who are looking at ways that we can keep our ecosystems uh, healthy and keep up the work that needs to be to be done uh, for all species, but especially for the reptiles and the and the crocodiles. Let's talk a little bit about that and some of the work that's being done uh, today and some of the solutions that are being shown that could work across the board. A third of the world's crocodilians were never endangered because they did not have a commercially valuable skin. One third of them are completely recovered due to effective conservation projects and sustainable use and management. But one third of the world's crocodilians are still endangered and many of those are critically endangered. It's no longer just the overhunting of their skins. It's loss of habitat. It's habitat degradation caused by pollution, by the changing the courses of waterways. Sometimes dams benefit crocs, sometimes they don't when they flood nesting areas. There are so-called emerging threats, such as invasive species that are causing problems for crocs. The biggest problem for crocs is that they're a large and sometimes dangerous reptile 
and they're sometimes in conflict with people. So what are what what is the dialogue that's going on now as far as looking at how to maintain and and save this population? What's being looked at today is what really are the best ways to manage wild crocodilians. There's a lot of satellite tracking going on. So scientists are developing a better understanding of how crocodiles and alligators use their environment, how much space they need. There's studies on the impact of crocodilians on people. There's a new website based at the University of Queensland called CrocBite. It's similar to the shark attack website based at the University of Florida, but CrocBite documents human crocodile conflict, incidents of crocodile bite. Sometimes they're uh, not serious. In many cases, they are fatal. Any large crocodile or alligator can be dangerous to people. In Florida, every year, people are bitten by alligators, mainly when they go swimming alone or when they're alone near the water's edge. But on average, fortunately, we only have one fatality in Florida on average every three years, compared to lightning strikes, six to nine fatalities every year. But in Africa and Madagascar, the Nile crocodile, which is very big, much bigger than most crocodiles, and because it preys on large animals, we kind of fall right within the size, the upper size range of its food supply. And the same is true for the saltwater crocodile. It's also known as the Estorine or Indo-Pacific crocodile. Like the Nile crocodile, it has a very wide range. It's found from the north coast of India and Sri Lanka, all across Asia to New Guinea, the northern coast of Australia, and even beyond in the remote islands of Oceania. Wow. So give us an idea of what what you're doing as far as um, the conservation. I know that... Uh, you've been the director of the reptile discovery programs there and now the co-founder of the Crocodilian Conservation Center of Florida. What is that about? Reptile discovery programs, we provide educational programs on the subject of reptiles. It's an introduction to reptiles. It's something my brother Michael started after he trained at the Miami Serpentarium back in the early 1970s. And since then, my brother has almost exclusively provided his programs for schools and for colleges on the East Coast of the United States. I followed in his footsteps, but instead of becoming more interested in venomous snakes like my brother, I began becoming more interested in crocodilians. Because of the, of the, of the, um, the lift my brother gave me, so to speak, I've been able to visit over a thousand schools in almost every state. And I've had this opportunity to work with zoos and aquariums and with zookeepers and aquarists across the United States and around the world. So my work with reptile discovery programs is primarily educational. My work with the Crocodilian Conservation Center of Florida is focused on work with zoos and aquariums. They are focused on the world's most endangered crocodilians and they're working to establish assurance colonies. So captive breeding groups, with genetic diversity of a certain number of species of crocodilians from around the world that are still critically endangered. With my work with the IUCN Crocodile Specialist Group, since 2008, I have served as the chair of the Tomastoma Task Force. It's a subgroup within the CSG. We're focused on a crocodilian from found only in Borneo and Sumatra, Peninsula, Malaysia. It has a long, slender snout. 
It's the color of coffee. It lives in coffee-colored water, and it's very shy and secretive. So the challenge of working with Tomistema literally is just finding them. But since 2002, the Tomistoma Task Force, and you can say Tomistoma or Tomistema, the name means sharp mouth. That working group within the CSG has been focused on raising awareness of the Tomistoma, raising funds for conservation. We have been able to fund status surveys where we send researchers to the range and to, to get the most updated information about the species in the wild. We created an event called World Tomistoma Day. It's on August 5th. And, um, and it, we've had a great response. Zoos and aquariums all over the country every year hold special events. And they're mainly zoos that focus on that species that display Tomistoma. I'm actually one of the few people that have hatched that species in captivity. And one Tomistoma that I hatched in 1999 at Florida Cypress Gardens, she's about 20 years old now, eight feet long. We named her Pip. People can see Pip at the National Zoo, at the Smithsonian's National Zoo. And for me, the exciting part about that is that's the zoo I went to as a kid. And now people can go to the Smithsonian's National Zoo and see a crocodile that I actually hatched and raised. My brother and I raised the parents. And that's a very humbling experience for me. Well, Bruce, I am so proud of you. And I remember fondly visiting the National Zoo as kids and being able to go behind the scenes and seeing the tortoises and the porcupines. And 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 here you are now. I can't wait to go back up there and, and visit the zoo and be able to see Pip. So, Bruce... Um, Let's talk again about how people can get more information. I think this is a good time, as we were talking about earlier, that we all need to be focused on achieving some future well-being for everybody, and that includes the crocodiles and and the reptiles. Give us the websites uh, of how we can find out more information and, uh, and any books that you might recommend. Well, thank you. And I don't want to forget to mention that alligators and crocodiles are a big part of tourism. And that means that one way people can benefit from having to live with crocodilians, which isn't easy, is because they attract tourists. So I want to just share my love and joy for having had an experience to visit Sri Lanka. If you are a surfer, if you are a birder, if you are a foodie, if you enjoy seeing historic or religious sites, when it's safe to travel again, please consider putting Sri Lanka on the top list of your travel destinations. I'd like to mention a few books recently published by several of my colleagues. My very close colleagues, Colin Stevenson from the CSG's Tomastoma Task Force, he's recently published a book called Crocodiles of the World, which gives a wonderful overview of the world's crocodile species. Another very close friend and colleague, Professor Kent Vliet from the University of Florida, he's just published a book, it's called Alligators, the Illustrated Guide to Their Biology, Behavior, and Conservation. Kent was the scientific advisor for the Crocodilians of the World poster that I produced with 30 years of my crocodilian photography. And you can learn more about the Crocodilians of the World poster when you visit croccenter.org. Well, Bruce, thank you so much. And I know that it's in your future someday to write a book. And I want to talk to you more about that when I have you back on the show sometime. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Marilyn. It's you, been great to be with you 
and your listeners today. Well, thanks, Bruce. And remember, this is a time to check out what's going on with the crocodiles, with the crocodilian culture, with these researchers and and scholars who are helping our ecosystem remain strong and safe and and healthy. So stay tuned. Coming up next is going to be my guest, Kay Bentley. Kay is the owner and founder of Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. We're going to talk a little bit about what's on the horizon for small businesses. Green is good. Local food, less oil. Renewable energy, sustainable peace. Tree hugger, Say no to GMOs. Be kind to animals. Don't eat them. Go solar. Coexist. Don't buy a dog. Rescue one. Keep Asheville weird. We just read the bumper stickers on the back of a Subaru. Welcome to Subiville. Prestige Subaru. On the web at PrestigeSubaru.com. At Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, we welcome folks from around the world and locally onto our tours. People love to travel and discover new places and new experiences, and we love being a part of that here in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. Most of us right now are not traveling due to the COVID-19 pandemic sweeping across the globe. While travel and tourism make up the biggest part of our regional economy, providing thousands of jobs, and our community greatly feels that loss in tourism right now, we know that there will be time to travel safely in the near future. We wish everyone good health and safety during this time. Community is what brings us together. We at Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours look forward to welcoming you to our community and showing you the city from a bird's eye view. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Joining me today is Kay Bentley. Kay is the owner and founder of Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, and she has really had her feet on the ground over these last few months, being a downtown uh, business owner, small business owner, and uh, seeing things go into a, a very different mode. Kay, it is so great to have you here today. I really appreciate you taking some time and being on Speaking of Travel. Well, thank you so much, Marilyn. I'm I, um, I'm honored and glad to be here with you. Thanks. Well, Kay, I know that over the last few months, there have just been so many changes going on uh, downtown with local businesses forced to change their business models and really trying to adapt uh, into a survival mode almost. Let's talk a little bit about that. What has that been like for you with Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours? Well, one of the things that happened back in March, uh, you know, our we were put into quarantine and uh, it was a stay home, stay safe order by the North Carolina governor and also Buncombe County. So, um, you know, the restaurants closed, uh, the tour companies, everything, our company was shut down and that just happened in a matter of days. So uh, we didn't have much planning, uh, much time to plan anything. Um, So we went from, you know, really picking up, um, you know, quite a bit of uh, tours uh, coming into our spring and summer months um, to actually nothing coming in and having to refund a lot of money. 
uh, to people that had already booked for tours. Um, so it was it was a real awakening, um, rude awakening in a lot of ways. But one of the things that I have seen with a lot of the Asheville businesses, especially restaurants, some of them chose to close completely, but a lot of them really changed their business model and offered, um, you know, pickup and delivery. And I kind of see that, you know, especially the pickup, the curbside pickup, I see that kind of thing um, actually carrying forward as we start opening up, which we are in phase two, two now. Um, so there is some, um, you know, some seating capabilities inside the restaurants now. But, uh, you know, people really had to change what they were doing. Um, a lot of businesses started offering virtual classes. And um, so it was... Um, a lot of rethinking of how you do business. I think that everybody has had to do some rethinking on how to do business, and it will be really uh, an amazing thing to see how everybody comes back now that we're in this phase two. But you have seen a lot of the community pulling together. Let's talk a little bit about that. Okay, one of the things that um you know happened pretty immediately there was a um, a movement movement that started called Asheville Strong and that is where businesses could go on there and list you know if they had gift cards available you know any way merchandise whatever it was that people could you know help support those local businesses and so um, you know that that the the number of people that were putting information on there and the businesses that were, you know, listing themselves on there was just, it, it was um, heartwarming and also, you know, heartbreaking at the same time. But there were um, quite a few chefs that kind of banded together and started feeding a lot of the uh, food service workers that were out of um, a job. And I saw some of our rooftop bar tour partners um, the hotels where those rooftop bars are, I saw that they were, you know, through social media, I saw that they were, you know, package, packaging up care packages for their employees. And then there were, you know, some local restaurants that were accepting donations so that they could provide meals for our healthcare workers. And, um, you know, our van was sitting idle. We weren't doing anything. And so, um, you know, I got in touch with several of those and one of the companies, one of the restaurants took us up on our offer to help them deliver extra large orders to some of those um, healthcare workers at the local hospitals. So that's one of the things we did was we volunteered, you know, to help with those deliveries. Well, that is really banding together. And and that is what Asheville is really known for is uh, community togetherness, bringing everybody together and, and being able to step up that way really uh, demonstrates to me uh, the reason that you have been awarded with the um, Entrepreneur of the Year Award and a Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce Small Business of the Month recognition and uh, just uh, your Creativity and Business Award. Kay, you've really, you, you set an example on leadership and how small business and entrepreneurship really works to help the community. And I commend you for that. I thank you for that. That 
I think what you've been doing is is uh, an example of what we all can be doing. How can we find ways to help each other? Well, thank you. Um, it, it it really is a community effort, and you know, Asheville, we've we've been down before. Um, you know, back in uh, when the stock market crashed, and we had a lot of years of debt we had to pay back, and then there were people that you know came into the city and locals that came stepped forward and said, you know, our 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 community and our town is worth saving. And, um, you know, I think that's the general feeling that everybody still has is that, you know, we do believe in Asheville and, um, you know, it may be a rocky road um, starting out and the recovery may be slow, but, you know, we are going to come back. Well, give us an idea of your company's role in the recovery here in Asheville, Kay. One of the things that we're doing as a tour company, um, you know, we, we actually have the best setup you could imagine. I mean, we are on the rooftop, so we are outside. We're breathing clean, fresh Blue Ridge Mountain air, um, and we're showing people, you know, the, the sights of Asheville. We're also, they're getting to discover some, you know, pretty amazing rooftop bars and lots of, um, you know, amazing food, and, and the craft beverage industry is really big, and they get to enjoy that too. So, um, you know, we do get to be outside. We also so um, have reduced the size of our tours, so we aren't taking as many guests, especially here in the beginning. It allows for social distancing on our van. Um, we're also doing health um, health screenings for our employees, and we have you know heightened cleaning and sanitation protocols that we're doing, and also social distancing. We're following that, and um, you know our. Buncombe County actually decided to require face coverings um, if you are in public spaces. So, you know, we're, we're definitely supporting that. We're providing those for our guests if they need them. So, uh, you know, we're, we're in there to, um, to get people to come back and experience, you know, why we love Asheville so much. And um, we're glad to be a, a company that, you know, can, can get that started in, a, in a, a careful and considerate and a slow way. That's really uh, wonderful to hear. And earlier in the show, I was talking to Tina Kinsey of the Asheville Regional Airport, and she was talking about the safety and sanitation measures happening there to to ensure that travelers can come in and out of the Asheville Regional Airport safely and feel uh, feel that they are being taken care of on the highest level. And it sounds like that's what you're doing with Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours and really what the the tourism industry and the travel industry is, is striving to do as we move forward uh, through this, this episode. I, I definitely agree. Um, you know, we want you know, our staff to be safe. We also want to, you know, help protect and support, you know, the rooftop bars and, you know, their team. And, um, you know, it's really for the good of the community. So, um, you know, we are uh, just on top of everything as far as, you know, the latest protocols or, or anything like that, because we do want people to feel safe and have an enjoyable time with us, um, you know, while they're here in Asheville. Well, we really appreciate that, Kate. How can people get more information about Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours? They can visit our website, which is AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. And they can also find us on all the social media platforms. We're on 
Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, um, TripAdvisor, Google. We're, we're, we're out there. So, But our website is probably the best way to get in touch with us. Well, I can tell you, I am ready to get back up out there and up on those rooftops with you and learn more of the history of Asheville. Kay, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Marilyn. It's, it's been a, a true pleasure. Thank you. And keep up the good work. This is Marilyn Ball. You've been listening to Speaking of Travel. This is a great week to uh, start phasing in some new things. Maybe uh, visit a restaurant, get some takeout, go out and take a hike, get in the outdoors. Research has shown that being outdoors is, uh, is good for your physical health and your mental health. I want to thank Tina Kinsey from the Asheville Regional Airport. I'd like to thank my guest Bruce Schwedick uh, talking to us about crocodiles and reptiles and of course Kay Bentley with Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. Go out and have a great week. Remember life is short. Don't postpone joy. 